0: Alright, so we're continuing on in our series. It's our third week in Colossians. It's been so good, and we're only at verse 15. So, we'll be here in a while. So, uh, if you are able, please standing for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in Colossians 1. We're going to read 15 to, through 23. There's some guys coming down the aisles with Bibles. If you need one, just uh, wave at them. Uh, they'll be happy to give it to you. If you need to keep the Bible, please do. It's a gift to you uh, from the Lord so we're going to be in Colossians 1, 15 through 23. <clears throat> and it reads, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we cannot see and the things we can't see. Such as the thrones, the kingdoms, the rulers, the authorities in the unseen world. He existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So He is first in everything. For God, in all His fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood. On the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you've received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, has been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that guides us. We thank you for uh, the opportunity to read this letter that Paul wrote um, to this church, Lord, and, and how so... It wasn't written directly to us, but it is for us. And we, there's so much truth, Lord. And we are going to walk through and talk about you, your son, Lord. And just pray that you give me lips to say who you are truly, Lord. Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, I don't, Lord. We are thankful you came down to save us. We just pray that we can continue carrying that message in our hearts and for the world to, to hear the good news that you save. So we thank you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. You may have a seat. So, again, I like to write out a statement to keep me focused. And the statement right off the bat is Your view of Jesus Christ will impact every area of your life. Your view of Jesus Christ will impact every area of your life. Even for those who don't believe in Jesus at all, and those who just think that he was a nice guy, or he was just a prophet, or he was just some guy, and I'm not trying to be flippant with Jesus, but based on wherever you believe or however you believe in Jesus, really impacts your entire life. And for those of you who are in the room who are Christians, our view of Jesus Christ impacts every area of our life and really how we respond to Him, how we respond to each other, how we just respond. Even during difficult and hard seasons and differences in our lives, there's different situations in our lives where our view of Jesus Christ and who He is and what He has done... And what he is doing in our life really impacts our life. And maybe if you're like me, I've realized that there has been great, many different seasons in my life growing up. And some that I would be ashamed to share with you, which I will, of course. Um, of who I thought Jesus was growing up. And even, even as a young adult. And what I thought he could and couldn't do. And just this weird concept of Jesus until I, I came to know him. And maybe you might be in a season of your life where, or you grew up in your home where Jesus was very legalistic, very dogmatic, very marched to these orders, very black and white. Maybe you were also uh, had a relationship with Jesus where it wasn't a relationship. There was God and he was scary. And that was about the extent of it. Maybe some of you, you felt like Jesus was this big fuzzy teddy bear and you couldn't wait to run home and jump in his lap and hold on to him. Some of you maybe felt like Jesus was more of a genie in a bottle, where if you did the right things in the right combination, this mystery box would open up and this big blue genie would sing a cool song. That's Aladdin, never mind. But that's what you thought of him. You really thought that if, if you, if you wished the white, right kind of wish, you would get what you want some of you maybe even felt like just Jesus was this angry guy maybe even people have challenged you in what you believed about that specific thing maybe a taskmaster you get the point so this this view of who Jesus is really matters and hopefully as we go through what Paul writes we can really get a good picture of who Jesus is i know we started off this series, I did the opening, just two verses of just the background, and we won't run through all of that, but it's just important, just to, just in case you weren't here or you forgot, he's running to this church about five years old that had a hodgepodge of different people, different backgrounds, there were these Gnostic people who believed in all this kind of knowledge is key and you can grow and everything physical was bad and evil, and we even still see a little bit of resemblance of that today. And I'm not picking on you because I do this, but if you ever in your mind say, No, I this is my spiritual life, and that is secular. I don't listen to secular music when I'm driving to church, you know. Whatever it is, like we have this whole separation when in reality everything is spiritual how we respond to our life. This is what this church was facing. They were also facing these Jewish people who converted over to Christianity who felt like hey, this is the way. You have to be Jewish. Then you have to be Christian. And then you do it right. And then there were some people who just showed up and were like, yeah, Jesus is cool. I never heard of anything. So there's this hodgepodge and there's a whole bunch of other influences, the Greek gods and goddesses, the Roman gods and goddesses and all of this weird mixture. So Paul was helping them get it straight. I know... Growing up for me, where I grew up in North Long Beach, and I had mentioned the first week, um, and not to, not to be rude or anything, but we always said we had one of everything, of every kind in our street where we grew up. All different ethnicities, all different national, nationalities, all different religious beliefs. And it was a big kind of hodgepodge, and the best thing was whenever we had block parties, you could have every kind of food you ever wanted. And uh, you really got to see who the real athletes were playing sideline pop and football running down the street. If you don't know what that is, you've never been smashed into a tree running down the sideline. It hurts lots. But you know what I I come to find out is with this whole mixture, a great majority of the people on my street were Christians. Different backgrounds, different churches, uh, different denominations. But yet there was this kind of weird... One theologian wrote it, a modern theologian wrote it, a Frankenstein put together Jesus. Where a little bit of this and a little bit of that and that kind of made up Jesus. It was kind of the things that as you grow, you kind of, maybe you even Google search the things people say that aren't really in the Bible. So if you Google that, well, caution yourself. Um, there's like a million hits, but things that people have said that they believe in that was just been tradition. That when you come to find out, hey, you know what, that's really not in the Bible. You know, that's really not Jesus. So I wrote down a couple that I experienced just growing up. One of the biggest things was superstition. There was a lot of superstition where I grew up on my street, and it even influenced. Um, I remember vividly one time <clears throat> we were playing that notorious game of sideline pop football. And there was a black cat that ran across the street and half of everybody stopped and said, we can't play anymore. And I said, why? Because there's a black cat. So what? Well, don't you know the devil rides on a black cat? The devil? What? And then so I went and shooted away. Ah, we can't play with you. And they didn't let me play because I had it. Whatever it was. Come to find out I'm just allergic to cats and I have a very poor view of cats, but if you are a cat lover, I'll leave it at that. But also a ladder. I remember a neighbor two doors down was working on something. They're like, you can't go underneath the ladder. I was like, well, yeah, something might hit you on the head. They're like, no, you'll get cursed. Cursed if a hammer hits you on the head. Like, I didn't, like, grasp these things. And then karma. Karma was a big one. People were all in the karma and this weird superstition, and it was just kind of weird. But you know what? I it kind of just influenced everybody on the street. So next thing you know, black cats were bad, ladders were bad, everything was bad. Jesus was good, but everything was bad. It was just, you went to church and you were only safe in church. And it was just this weird hodgepodge of different theology, different backgrounds. Folk theology is really what it's called. It's just a tradition your family believes or your neighborhood that you grew up in just kind of believes just because you've always believed it. You may have heard God helps those who help themselves. I really believed that for a very long time. And then I realized I never saw it in the Bible, and that's not even true because how do we help ourselves? But you get the point. So fast forward a little bit, and I think I was trying to find the, the beginning of it, but the whole WWJD, what would Jesus do with the cool bracelets? I think it was in the 90s. I don't know. I'm sure I had five of them just to be safe. But um, <clears throat> I don't. I just remember... Uh, all these bracelets and these stickers, WWJD? What would Jesus do? And and um, then I then we got to the point when going the youth group and and all that growing up, realizing, wait a minute, how do I know what Jesus would do if I don't know who Jesus is? Well, that's a good question. I don't I don't know. And then uh, you don't get the point. You don't you don't understand what the whole meaning is and I'm not making fun of it it may sound like it but it was it really for me kind of said well I'm not sure that I really know who Jesus Christ is I believe that he saved me but to the extent beyond that my relationship with Christ I'm not sure But when you as Christians come it's a journey have you noticed that being a Christian is a journey I'm not talking about salvation but just the way that you grow and and you see and so if you get that kind of mental picture in your mind that's what Paul was dealing with and then <clears throat> and then we see what would Jesus do and then we realize again we have to figure out who Jesus is and uh and then I came to the point where I started to ask the question well I'm not sure what exactly Jesus would do but I know what he wouldn't do and that came really prevalent like my second day on the job of being a full-time pastor, like twelve years ago or whatever the math is. Yeah. And I remember feeling pretty good and I thought, like the whole illustration of being a pastor, even though I had been bivocational for a while, is I was really going to have this wonderful eight-hour time with just me and Jesus. And then I realized that wasn't true. And one of the situations, someone came in off the street in the church and I was the only one there and And he was sharing his whole story how he needed this job and he got this job but he had nowhere to stay by the job and he said, I really want to go and sleep out in the field. And I said, okay, so do you need a sleeping bag? He goes, yeah, it's illegal to sleep out in this field because it's private property. And I thought, well, I don't think you do that. He said, do you think Jesus would be okay with that little sin as long as? And then I thought, well, no. No, he wouldn't be okay with that. But then I had this burden I was thinking, okay, so then what? What? how am I going to help this guy? And it may seem obvious to you, but I, I'm slow. I'm, I'll admit it. I, it takes me a while to grasp concepts. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just said, get him a room at a hotel. I said, how about I get you a room at a hotel? I mean, it was an audio voice. He goes, you would do that? I said, yeah. He said, you know, you're the seventh church I've been to. It's like I said, was that what you're waiting for? He said, I didn't know. He said, I just... Knew I needed the job. But it was this whole process of coming to realize that the character of Jesus, who Jesus is, was on earth and who he is now. That view really impacts the way that we treat each other. The way that we look towards God. The way that we don't, if we don't believe that he can do what he says he can do. So again, this whole introduction, Paul starts off and he, and he, he, he does this greeting identifies himself. He does this prayer. David talked about it last week. He, he prayed for for uh, wisdom. He also prayed for perseverance, endurance, and then he prayed for joy. And then right off the bat, right immediately, he jumps into Jesus Christ and who Jesus is. So we're going to walk through that. And, and if you're in a place where it's becoming hard or confused about who Jesus is and you're doubting and your faith is, I wouldn't say on the rocks, but maybe you're just wondering, how is this really going to work out? I, I like Paul's formula. Start with Jesus. So that's what we're going to do. A lot of times people ask when they come new to Christ or they have a friend. They say, well, what should I read? What should I have them read? And I always start off with John, the Gospel of John, because that tells the character and who Jesus is while he was on earth. And it's an intimate letter. And we went through John. And you, I'm sure you remember everything we ever said. But, and everything the Word said. But that character of Jesus Christ and that intimate letter. And then second, I go to Colossians because it really lays out really specific who Christ is and what he's like and the character of Christ. And then I really strongly believe that if you get a handle on Christ, it changes your life. So when people challenge you and say, do you really believe that you can say yes, because of Jesus, not because I heard once upon a time, but who Jesus is. So start at the beginning in your doubt, in your struggle with who Jesus is. So the first one, and and I have a list, and we'll go through it real quick. And I'm not always big on lists, but this one, just to keep me focused on, was first one in verse 15. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So I put number one, Jesus is the image of God. At this time... That image of God, that original word is like icon. So at this time, these Christians, these new Christians, everywhere would have seen statues of Nero, would have seen all of these statues of all of these Greek or Roman gods and different belief systems. And Paul immediately establishes through this hymn, it was almost like this section that we're reading, verse 15 and on, is like an early church hymn. I really tried to nail down what or where we found it. I think it was sometime during Acts. I can't tell you for sure, but it was like the song. So uh, the way that I see it is originally when the church started gathering in Acts, they would sing a lot of the psalms in the Old Testament. And now they're writing these songs about Jesus. So he's going through the song, and the first one is, he says, you see all these visible images. And a lot of times people are saying, well, you don't actually see God, do you? And right off the bat, verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God, it is God, he is God, this this man is God, and it goes on, and, and, it, and continue on in verse 15, it says, he existed before anything was created, and is supreme over all creation, so Jesus is the ruler over creation. Part of the problem at the time, and I would even suggest pro- part of the problem that we're facing now, is people are believing that Jesus was created by God. You say, well, what, what, why does that matter? Because it's taking away the authority of what Christ has done. It's taking away the fact that Christ is God. So he existed. So Paul's saying he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Jesus is first. Establish Jesus first. This is the first step, step in anything. Jesus is first. He was there at the very beginning. He is God. And then verse 16 goes on. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in this unseen world. Jesus is the creator of all things. He's created all of this. So not only was he there before creation because he is God, he created all this. He had a hand in it. And, and, and I'll just stop here. I feel like lately, within the last several years, one of the concerns that people bring to me and others that I know is, did Jesus just create all of this or did God just create all of this and then just like, good luck, guys. I'll see you in heaven maybe. And the reason why this thought is, is then the whole question of bad things. Well, there's bad things, and if God is this good God, and then why do bad things happen? And then we started getting into the apologetics. And I think it's really quite simple, and it, it can get on, and I don't want to to uh, despise that. But it's quite simple. God, Jesus is, since he is the creator of all things, he is active in our lives. And, and I think the key here that Paul is writing is... Again in sixteen he says, "For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see okay there 's some things I can see, and then the things we can 't see and that is kind of the the the, the thought is just because we can 't see what 's going on in our limited view, we only can see this much. He sees all of that i'm a big huge fan of c s Lewis, and uh, I like to read his books over and over again. And one of my favorites, probably yours is, you know, Chronicles of Narnia. I I love all that. And the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. But probably my favorite one is The Horse and His Boy. And the reason why is it's so simply written and yet so thick and deep. And I would just read you like my favorite three chapters right now, but we won't do that. But just, just read it it's so good reading it with my kids and asking them questions and and to try to give you the cliff notes so that way what i say applies here without you reading it there's a situation where this boy and his horse or his horse and this boy and they they're facing all kinds of issues and situations and and uh it's all bad stuff it appears to be all bad stuff he's getting chased by lions he's seeing all these what she thinks is ghost, and he's scared, and he's just trying to get to this new kingdom to warn everybody. And problem after problem after problem after problem happens. Sounds similar, right? Don't you feel like that? When it, you may even say, when it rains, it pours. Right? Problem after problem after problem, and then there's this great moment where he's riding on his horse, and he senses this being is by him, and he's like, oh no, it's this evil, awful lion. And then he comes to realize it's Aslan. And Aslan is the Jesus character in the book. And then he, once he realizes that this guy, this this lion, is is some kind of power, he says, well, if you're in charge, let me rattle off a couple of the issues I have with you. Sounds like me, right? All right, God, here's my list. Here's my Saturday morning list of my complaints. Please follow suit. Right? So he lists out all these things. He said, Why did this happen? And if you're and this and this and this and then Aslan, the Jesus character says, explains and he gives a hint. And he says, Well, whenever you thought this was chasing you, it was me because I was guiding you in the right direction. Because you're dumb and you would have drowned it. But hey, what do I know? But he says it better than that, but that's basically how Jesus talks to me sometimes. And he says, well, what about this situation? What, why was I an orphan and abandoned? And he said, oh, that was me. I was the one that guided you in that little boat when your biological dad died and this fisherman took care of you. Yeah, but he was so mean, but yet he taught you all of these virtues so that way where you are right now, I could use you. And he said, well, what about my friend? You scratched her. You put this big cut in her. And then he says this great line. He said, I do not share with you what I do in other people's life. You worry about you, and I will take care of the rest. And I thought, and that's what Paul says right here. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. That whole perspective shift. For me, this, this week, as I was preparing for that, I mean, I highlighted that in my study Bible a lot. Because I really, my prayer was that I really grasp that concept before I come and share that. And I don't know if we will fully grasp this concept. But there was so much peace and understanding that not only is Jesus creating this, God is creating this, Jesus is God, is creating this. He's creating all the things that we see and the things that we don't. See, and then he gives a list of the th- the thrones and the kingdoms, the rulers, the authorities in the unseen world. He is sovereign, and and regardless of where you are in in your in your direct belief systems of denominational, that I think David a couple months ago explained very well about. It's probably one of the greatest divides that the enemy has used to separate his church and to divide what we're supposed to do by having inward bickering about theology. And I'm not talking about the staples of theology about Jesus Christ. You know what I'm talking about. The things that churches have split over the years. The saddest one are all of them. The reasons that they split because they know theology better. But when we just read this and we look at Jesus Christ, I don't see that that matters. I see that having a Savior is what matters and realizing that he's in charge. So when we're wondering and we're questioning, why did you do this? Why didn't you do this? How are you letting all this happen? It's because he's in control, yet he's still working with sin in this world. So I I feel like when we read this, we only hear half of the conversation. I, I... if I had a time machine, or whenever I get to heaven, or whatever classic line you want to say, I really wish we could hear what these questions were. It's like whenever you come into a party and you show up late and then everyone says like the punchline of a joke and everyone's laughing, you're like, huh, ha, ha ha. Cool. What happened? And I feel like that's what we're kind of coming into. It, but yet, but yet Paul describes it so well that we don't need to know the questions because if we take our questions. And bring them to God. His word through the spirit. They're answered. And here. He moves on. In verse 17. He existed before anything else. Which sounds similar. Which it is. He created everything. But he existed. But my fourth thing that I wrote down is. Jesus is eternal. He doesn't have a short. Lifespan. He doesn't have a beginning or an end. Many of the other religions believe that God has a short-term plan because he's short-term. That God created Jesus out of clay or dirt or he's the brother of somebody uh, in outer space and all of these weird theologies. But right here he, he says he existed before anything because he's God. So there's no starting point for him, which means there's no ending point. Jesus who entered into history His birth to Mary wasn't his beginning. It was his life entering into human history. He came. And it goes on in verse 17. And he holds all creation together. Jesus is the maintainer. The glue. The nuts and bolts that keep us together. He's active in our life. Many people are viewing Jesus as a dad who has left them a lot of times whenever we sing songs we read we we talk about he is our father he's our good father a faithful father if we didn't have that earthly father that was that that may be a difficult term for us and yet all of the issues and problems that we see the distorted view is repaired through him he holds things together he is the maintainer the glue He's holding the world together. Verse 18 goes on. It says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Jesus is the head of the church. I'm not the head of this church. The elders are not the head of this church. Other pastors aren't the head of their church. The elders, the leaders, you, whatever Jesus is. And we're the under shepherds. And then whoever you minister to directly, you're the under shepherds. But the head of the church, which is his body, the church is his body which is interesting, and I have this conversation with somebody who's very, very close to me that I've known just about my whole life, who says he is a Christian, but he hates church. And he says all of the reasons why he hates church. Well, those are awful reasons, but you're hating Christ's body. And, and he always says this line that we, we argue about quite a bit in a very friendly way that someone that you've known for 25 years you can only argue with. Because he says, my relationship with Christ is private. It's just between me and God. But I suggest that, and I tell him, your relationship with Christ shouldn't be private. It should be personal. It's completely different. Because if it's private, it's all about you and Christ, which may on the outside sound good. But if it's personal, it's all about you and Christ and what he's doing in your life for other people. And the only way that I see... For it to continue to grow personally is with a body like this, a church body where you get together. You use your gifts and abilities for other people that God has blessed you with, and people use their gifts and abilities to bless you, which God has given them. And yet, as a church, we go and use to spread the good news about it. One of my favorite things about this church, there's a great many of us, Uh, Great many churches, but one of my favorite things about this church and a lot of it is when someone is sick or had a baby or you just moved here, you get fed very, very well. That food train is no joke. But it just shows the hospitality, the desire. And I always imagine... I, I, and I and I when we first moved here, all of the food that we got, all of the delicious desserts that we got, and then just thinking how simple it is just for a meal, for a food, but yet we were blessed by that, and it's such a small part. But what we miss from the body, also what we miss from the body is a lot of times we can't see bad things in our own life, and we need someone to stand there and pull up a mirror. So we see what we're actually doing and what we look like. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying grab a mirror and bang them over the head until they get it. But a mirror is only there to reflect. Sometimes, many times, you just need a brother and sister in this church, in your church, in your life, in your life group, to say, hey, what's going on in your life? It would appear that this is what's going on. And for those of us who have had that experience of someone pointing out sin in your life and your initial reaction isn't, uh uh but then you come to the realization that they probably saved you from something stupid. We sometimes think and act like we are not God's children and and we need that in our lives. Again, talking about Christ as the head of the church. Just imagine those of you who have children and grandchildren, if you just let your grandchildren and children do whatever they wanted and you had no control over the situation. Or if you'd go to a restaurant and there was no control and you just went in and made whatever you want and then the catastrophe of it all. That's why Christ is the head of the church. That's why all of the decisions, hopefully, in your life, in your home, in this church, we check with God and ask him what what is it that he wants us to do. Part, continue on. Jesus is alive. Continues on. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Some translation says he's firstborn, and that's kind of uh, twisted to say, see, he was created. No, it just means he is first in line to be in charge of our life. And then verse 19, it goes on. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Jesus is fully God. He is the one, the only one out of all the religions that I've seen where, God, where he comes to us. And I've looked pretty hard to see if there's any other religions that show, that tell, that talk about God coming to our rescue. And not only that, I don't see any other religion that shows that God comes to us and says that he is God. Except for us. All the other religions that I see is based on performance, based on things you're supposed to do, sacrifices, on and on and on. As if God is in this faraway place and we're just trying to get closer and closer and closer to him. Our belief, of course, is that he came to us and he did it all and he saved us. God comes to his people. And when he comes, he talks about he is God. Again, C.S. Lewis wrote uh, in Mere Christianity, one of my favorite lines, He says, Jesus' claims make him either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. So he, he can only be three things. He's either a liar, he's lying about who he is, he's a lunatic because he thinks that he's somebody special and he's not, or he's actually the Lord, and he is. And he's done that because he's come and he showed us that he's Lord. Verse 20 goes on and says, And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus is our intercessory. He comes on our behalf. One of the the current lines, and it's maybe going around for a long time, is don't judge me. We probably hear that quite a bit from people who whenever we're trying to step in and show that mirror, don't judge me. And we, you know, move the big old log out of your eye before you take out my I mean, we misconstrued and we twist and we change. and Don't judge me. Don't judge me. And then sometimes even the argument, the counter argument is that God is this big, judgmental, awful, mean judge that comes down harsh. But yet, I like the description that I read. And I wish I could have told you who did it because I read it a long time ago. But... It's, it's a sigh of relief judgment. It's a sigh of relief judgment, is the best that I. When, when Christ saves us, it's a sigh of relief judgment. Meaning, whenever you see uh, in the court system, when someone gets, um, whenever they're found innocent, and it's a, sighs of, uh, a sigh of relief. But the judgment has been passed. You're not guilty. And we know in our case, for who are Christians, we're not guilty, not because we haven't done anything wrong, it's because Jesus has taken that punishment. So it's a sigh of relief. Oh, finally. Whenever you've been accused of something falsely or wrong, and then whenever all the facts come in and you're sponged from it and it's wiped away, oh, what a relief. You remember whenever you were a kid and your brother or sister broke something and you were blamed for it and then finally they confessed and you're like, oh man, because that was awful. It's more than that. It's more than that because what it is is you did the crime. You broke the window, but yet you are forgiven and the punishment is taken on. Jesus came on our behalf. He intervened. He stood in the gap that was created by sin by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And probably some of my other favorite of this part is 21 through 23. And it talks about Jesus as our savior. He saved us. And I'm gonna read that again. 21 says, "'This includes you, who were once far away from God. "'You were his enemies, separated from him "'by your evil thoughts and actions.'" Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. He's done it. He came here physically and took that punishment. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So again, the sigh of relief of this judgment isn't because we got away with something. It's not because they found that we were actually not guilty. It's because we were found guilty, but yet someone paid that punishment. My favorite illustrations is the is the comparison to an action hero in a movie that comes in and at the last minute breaks you out of harm's way, breaks the the person out of the jail, breaks them from the noose, breaks them from execution, breaks them out, and yet they get away in their getaway car, and and then the credits roll, and then they have an end scene, and you see that everything is fine and great, and they live in paradise. When reality, for those who think that is how what Christ has done, they're limiting actually what Christ actually has done for us. Actually, if it was a movie thing where we were trapped in a jail cell or we were on a hangman's noose or we're in front of a firing squad, yes, our Savior, the Savior character comes and rushes in and takes us out of harm's way and puts us in this car and we get away, but it doesn't stop there because what Christ has done is then he goes back and he goes back in that jail. He puts that noose around his neck he stands before the firing squad. He takes the full weight, the full punishment of which we deserve, and he did it on the cross. Now, it's not that he just saved us and we snuck away and got away, it's he paid for that. And verse 23 goes on and says, But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news, the gospel. The good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. So right now in your life, if you are dealing with, the, is God who he says he is? Is Jesus who he says he is? Is the Holy Spirit who he says he is? Is this thing real? I've been challenged. I can't answer all of the people's questions about things that doesn't. I'm not quite sure about. Start with Jesus. Start with Jesus. Go through this list and see what he has done. And, and I have the list up. And Jesus, again, is the image of God. He is God. Jesus is the ruler of all creation. He's in charge. Jesus is the creator of all things. He was there at the beginning to create it. Jesus is eternal. He is forever. Jesus is the maintainer. He's the guy that's keeping this all together. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is alive. And every time we think about Jesus is alive, we should celebrate just like we celebrate on Easter. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is our intercessor. He comes in on our behalf. He fills in that gap. Jesus is our savior. And then I wrote, P.S., Jesus is the only savior. So if you're here this morning and you're just wondering how this all works and why me and maybe even at the beginning whenever I started off thinking about and sharing with all of this weird kind of hodgepodge belief system and cats and ladders and all those weird things. If you're in a place where you just have a lot of questions, ask them. But ask them in such a way where you're not not attacking. God is so faithful in that he has made himself available and present in our lives. And a lot of times that's through his word, that's through his spirit, and that's through other people when you ask these questions. So just as we close here, Paul's stress on Jesus was so that way he can establish who he is and his rightful place. So that way, whenever he goes on in the rest of Colossians, that he can correct some of, a lot of the mistakes, the misbeliefs in Christ. So wherever you're at right now, start with Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you for coming down. To save us lord thank you that we didn't just skip by sneak by get by from our sins it's better than that you paid for them fully on the cross lord i pray for anybody in here that is he is in a spot where they're asking questions they're wavering they're thinking they're they're feel even feeling like they it's not a relationship with you it's just it's robotic lord i just pray that you speak to them now lord You are so much more than even what we can read and describe and understand. But we know these truths, Lord, that's outlined that we read. That you were there at the beginning of time. That you created us. That you loved us so much you came to us. Entered our world that we totally messed up to save us. To repair it. And Lord, that is the good news that we want to live by. That we want to start our day by. And share with other people that freedom that we have, Lord. So Lord, as we sing some more songs to worship you, let us recognize who you are. And again, anyone who is struggling or has questions, give them courage and boldness to ask them now today and not to wait. Lord, thank you for your word that guides us. Thank you for being the head of this church and all churches, Lord. Forgive us when we fall short, which we do often, Lord. But thank you for your grace and mercy that you don't give up on us even when we give up on ourselves or one another. You're so good. And we love you so very much. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.